Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 235, They Just Have to Band Together. This week, we're discussing season 7, episode 19 of Buffy, Empty Places, and series 10, episode 8 of Doctor Who, The Lie of the Land. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, Buffy is up first here getting mm-hmm. really close to the end of the series which is crazy um i'm not gonna know. know what to do with myself when i don't have new buffy episodes to watch well well but here's the thing when buffy's over now you can binge it and watch like all at once that's a, see, that's true i could just see go if, back like, that changes that would be like i don't think i can do it but it would be an interesting experience to, like, after having gone through it one episode a week for five years, then, like, immediately just go, like, binge the entire thing. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't think I, I don't think I'm, like, I think I probably need a little breather. But um, sure. that would be an interesting experiment. Maybe. Maybe a palate cleanser first. Maybe but, yeah. a little palate cleanser, yeah. Um, um, anyway, um, before we talk about the episode, you had a couple production notes. Yeah, I did. And I don't know that it's anything like really major, but, you know, uh, definitely wanted to bring up a few. Nothing that's like too into the plot. And so like would kind of be weird just like, I guess there's a few things we could talk about, like when we got to them, but these are just kind of off the cuff. So first of all, written by Drew Greenberg um, and directed by James Contner, who uh, the latter was also the cinematographer for Jaws 3D, which we get a reference. Uh, Xander makes a joke about nobody making him watch that anymore because of his lack of depth perception at this point. So um, I'm sure that, I mean, like, that's not a reference you throw in there without knowing, you know, like, kind of who the players are. Yeah. Like, that's probably a bit of a jab at him. Yeah. Um, so, um, especially considering he's directing the episode here, right? Like, right. like it's not like it's going to be something that he's going to miss. Right. Um, so, and, and possibly something that he threw in there, although I didn't, I don't know for sure that he did. But Yeah, that's funny. Um, wanted to note to the musical guests, we've, we've noted musical guests, um, who have appeared at the bronze in the past. Uh, tonight's is a bit special, you know, we're getting to the end of the season or the series and well, both. And, um, we get, uh, Nerf Herder, who is the band that wrote the Buffy theme song. So, um, they're the ones playing at the bronze here, uh, in this episode. And you get the little exchange between, um, is it Don and Kennedy, I think, mm-hmm. who are like, oh, you know, I forget the exact exchange. But right. like, another little basically like over it, this, Carter, this yeah. band, like this band is associated with the apocalypse kind of thing. Right, and right. and um, I should have I should have written it down, but I didn't. Um, another so uh, another just sort of uh, oddball thing. So we've noted before actors who appear in both Buffy and um, 
uh, uh, Angel and who maybe uh, have appeared in other Joss Whedon's things. Uh, I don't think this person appeared in other Joss Whedon things, but we've certainly seen him before in Angel. And I think this might be the first time it's gone that direction. Mm-hmm. Although I'm not 100% positive where we saw the person first in Angel and then in Buffy. Um, and that's Justin Shilton, who played Billy Blim in Angel, if you remember the um, mm-hmm. evil guy who was imprisoned by Skip. And then um, he's in like a couple episodes. The, the, the episode's name is Billy. And then he's in like one other episode and then like he gets killed. Mm-hmm. Um, he plays one of the dirty cops in this episode who come at faith. He's actually the one who says, you'll have to come with us, miss. Outstanding warrant. And, um, you know, and then they like pull her outside and start beating her up. Um, I did not. So I did not catch that. I um, I would not have caught it either. I I saw the reference to him, and it's one of those things where, like, if you really look, you can say, okay, yeah. And if like you pull up like a picture of him from like the Billy episode, what? But he definitely looks older, and I don't know if that's. I mean, that was only like a season ago. Right. Like a That's that what, yeah, it's not like, even that long ago. It's not like that long ago, like he would necessarily be noticeably older, but I think it's more like just in the styling of hair and like here he's got like a cop uniform on and stuff. Right. And so like looks maybe a little more official and whatever. So I, I would not have picked up on it. I saw that this was the case, um, but figured it's worth noting. Um, I don't like he doesn't have like a significant other than like his like one line to faith right like i don't it's not like a significant role here it's certainly not like a plot driving role like he has with angel um but again worth noting because we always sort of want to note those uh it's not like a true crossover because it's not like a plot crossover but it's a a reuse of the same actor Mm -hmm. um and then finally wanted to note um we get the we get the Stargate reference with uh you know um someone I, I forget again who uh references, you know, the ending the, the that Stargate is ending and don't tell Andrew because he'll cry. And um just wanted to note that like there are actually quite a few uh Whedon verse actors who uh, appear in Stargate in one form or another, um, or one of its spinoffs, because there's like three or four now, like Stargate shows, because um, they have like this like web ver- this web show that's going on now. Anyway, um, I've never watched a single episode of Stargate of any kind in my life. Well, may- maybe we shall at some <laughs> point. Um, but the uh, that like if this took us five years, oh my to god. Get through, yeah. Like, going through... Because, like, Stargate SG-1 itself is, like, ten seasons. Oh, long. my God. And then there's Atlantis. And then there's Universe. And then now this, like, web series. And I... Am I missing one? I, I wouldn't even... So, but, I don't well, know. Well, I mean, of course, there's the original movie as well. But... Um, starring Kurt Russell. But, uh, anyway. All that to say... Marina Baccarin... Tamo Pennicott, Adam Baldwin, Jewel State all appear uh, in there. Um, none of those are actually Buffy actors, um, although Adam Baldwin will appear in Angel. I don't know if I've mentioned that. Oh, I, I don't think it. I knew that. 
it, is that a well, well okay i spoiled it a little maybe um i won't tell you in what capacity of course uh but uh and since i, I mean i mentioned temo panicate because he appears of course in dollhouse but also oh right 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 yeah yeah there there's the bsg crossover so in stargate you also get episodes uh with uh, Alessandro Giuliani and Grace Park also appearing in various uh, episodes as guest stars um, oh. in SG-1, I believe those are. So Interesting. I think all of them are in SG-1, except for Jewel State, who actually has a, a recurring, possibly, she might even be like in the credits for hmm. Stargate Atlantis. Okay. Um, her, her role's fairly significant in Stargate Atlantis, but uh, the others are all like guest stars or or like, recurring but only for like a few episode right roles like they're not ongoing like, main, main main cast yeah yeah but uh just interesting so lots of it, people that we like are yeah lots of people guess, we like and, well when it goes on to, when it goes on for 20 years i guess you can have the full roster of tv like character actors come in and well you know. and that's kind of i think what it ends up being is yeah. that like yeah it's just like like like, like Grey's you know, Anatomy have to have, or something. At some you know? point, yeah, it's just a rite of passage, right? Like, um, yeah, like um, uh, because it shoots in New York, Law and Order. It's a who's who of like right. theater actors. That like it's like sure. when everybody was like starving, trying to get a job on Broadway, they all do like guest one episode of Law and Order. Um, that's probably what it's like for the kind of. TV sci-fi community. Mm -hmm. um, well, and so you bring up Law and Order, and of course Elizabeth Rome, who played Kate in Angel. Right. <laughs> so, yes, <laughs> she had a recurring role, obviously, right, right. A, a starring role for a while, right? Um, in in I don't even know what seasons because like that show was on forever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to to your point, anyway. Yes. <laughs> um, so. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of a lot of like references and like little little things there, and mm -hmm. um, maybe I've even talked too long about them, but um, just felt like these were like things worth noting that didn't quite fit into the structure of kind of how we wanted to talk about um, the episode mm -hmm. forward. So mm -hmm. figured I'd bring them up now. Interesting. Um. So, in terms of the episode. I kind of want to build to Buffy because, you know, finish with the big, mm -hmm. you know, the big finish. Um, sure. But I, I feel like we'll probably talk about her throughout as she sort of interacts with different characters because I think that the kind of thrust of the episode is very much uh, how all the other characters feel about Buffy right now you know so even mm. when she's not specifically in the scene with them or comes and goes and is only there for a minute it's all sort of building up to this kind of cathartic airing of grievances like that we have at the end of the episode um sure. so you know I, I think we can just kind of go through the characters um and not really worry too much about taking the plot in order necessarily. So starting with Xander and Willow, um, we get the follow-up from 
Xander's uh, loss of his eye. Um, mm -hmm. And the dynamic there, like, not just in that scene, but throughout the episode, whenever it comes up, um, I was really struck by Buffy's awkwardness around the whole thing. Her sort of reluctance to not just know what to say, you know, how do you sort of find the right words to console somebody in times like this? But, sure. um, but also the sense of her kind of wanting to get out of the room kind of as quickly as she can. Um, not in a like callous way necessarily. That's certainly not how she intends it, but you do definitely get a sense of the tension between them that, you know, we're not the, the elephant in the room, which kind of gets brought up later is her responsibility for what happened to him. And the fact that like, I mean, we kind of talked about this with, you know, the doctor who with the recent like blindness, you know, little mini arc that in yep. some ways, like, you know, a, a disability or a, you know, maiming of some kind can be as traumatic if in some ways even more so than something more, you know, like a death, like it's sort of like, you know, you know that the, the doctor's willing to risk his life for people, but is he willing to risk his sight is in some ways a higher risk. And I feel like that's kind of what they're playing with here. Like in the, these Whedon shows, like you expect that characters could die and Xander knows that he could die. They all do. Like when they go into a battle with, you know, vampires or, you know, these uber vamps or whatever, like, it's not like he doesn't know that that's a possibility, mm -hmm. but in, so in some ways coming out of it alive, but sort of permanently damaged is like a little bit more upsetting because it's not sort of what you expect. Right. And the idea of living, you know, I mean, this is all very, this all sounds very ableist. I don't mean it to sound like this. Like people live perfectly happy lives with disabilities. But I think the stigma about it is that for people who've never had that before, the idea that you will go on living, but your life will be permanently altered is, you know, in some ways the scariest thing. Like how to kind of go on with your life and then just accept the fact that, you know, his eye is gone and sure. it won't be coming back, it seems. So, yeah, I guess just like the awkwardness and the tension around Buffy specifically. Um, whereas like Willow is awkward in that she doesn't quite know what to say, but you also get the warmth of her being willing to sort of stay and sit with him and try even if she says the wrong thing you know or mm -hmm. kind of or, doesn't quite know kind of maintain maintain her brave face right like right right she sort of breaks down and right right yeah. um whereas i think buffy can't you know she can't afford to break down in front of him 
or kind of really face the consequence of what this means for him. You know, she's, she has too much responsibility, you know, in her hand in making it happen. It, so, yeah. So like, how do you interpret that on her part? And I know it's, I mean, I'm asking you to read the mind of a fictional character, but yeah. like, how, like, how do you interpret her sort of unwillingness to stay? Do you, is it, because, like, like, the other thing I would just throw into what you said, like, not disagreeing with anything that you said, but, like, just adding to it, is um, her focus on uh, the the very medical, like, factual, like, mm-hmm. this is what the doctor said. Like, taking that sort of aloof stance. And then... She doesn't stay, like you said, and like Willow's like, oh, well, I thought we were going to stay to like play games and stuff, like Mm -hmm. to be friends. And it's like, so yeah, like, like, how do you take Buffy's leaving? Do you think it's embarrassment? Do you think it's, I've got too much to do and need to go somewhere else, you know, or not embarrassment, like shy or like whatever, but like embarrassment, like because of like what? Yeah. said later about no, like, yeah, I think, her being at fault and like that type of thing. Like, uh, yeah, I or some other thing maybe that I did mention. Uh, you know, in the kind of realm of embarrassment, the word shame comes to my mind. Like, right, yeah, her, like uh, as a type of, yeah, yeah, like her. You know, I mean, I do think that she has obviously a lot to do, but um, and it's probably justified for her to go and keep working and try to keep figuring things out. But it's also that is also like a refuge for her, you know, a place for her to sort of hide away in that. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think it's a way of maybe for her redeeming what happened. Like if, if, if he's going to make this big of a sacrifice, it has to be for something, you know, it has to have, it can't just be a completely pointless waste of lives and you know and you know xander's eye it has to be have paid off in some way and Mm -hmm. her motivation to not stop until she's figured out something about caleb specifically so it's like now it's not just that you know the the first is still the big bad that's still the big threat but the focus in this episode, I feel like, sort of shifts to Caleb as sort of this immediate threat and this question mark of who is this guy? Where did he come from? What, you know, what is the source of his power? What's his background? Um, you know, I feel like that's a way of kind of her justifying the, you know, I mean, we'll, and we'll, we can... I'm trying to resist getting into like let's debate about is Buffy right or wrong and what she does. I'm not even putting a we'll val- get to that later. I'm right? not even putting a value on that. Like I'm not saying that she's, you know, that this is a good or bad decision. Sure. But I do think that, um, you know, that's her way of coping with mm-hmm. with what happened is to try to. She can't fix it. She can't return what was taken from him but she can 
crack the code of this new character. Um, and yeah, and I think that there is some, you know, shame and discomfort in the way that she leaves, which I think it's, on the one hand is like, you know, you could blame her for leaving, but also like, I think it would be hard for anybody to not feel like they would feel the same way in her position, you know, of mm -hmm. that would be a really difficult thing to mm -hmm. be around, especially feeling if that you're responsible for what happened. Sure. I mean, I just, we were just talking the other day about how I had um, a funeral last weekend or two weekends ago. When was, I don't even know what day it is anymore. Um, and um, even that, which had nothing to do with me, still can, you can have that sense of feeling like you have no idea what to say, you know, that like mm. anything too serious and emotional is kind of too, you know, important to really handle in that moment. But then anything too trivial just feels completely fake and petty and, you know, sort of, you know, like you're evading what's really happening. So um, I, I, I feel like the instinct to just not be there is like a very relatable, um, you know, that's a very relatable thing for Buffy to be feeling. But I also like wonder, um, here's a question for you too, and we can come back to it as well. To what extent do you think Xander finds that hurtful or offensive that she doesn't stay? I mean, he kind of says that he understands, you know, I guess, does he really is a question. Do you think that he sort of right. feels her remorse or, or her support through, you know, what he's going through? No, I don't think he does feel that. Um, either remorse or support. <laughs> um, just as, I mean, that's my sort of off-the-cuff response. But mm -hmm. I think also Xander is, he's had practice at being snubbed, maybe, by mm -hmm. Buffy or... Maybe snubbed isn't entirely the right word, but like ignored to some degree by her or whatever. I think certainly at various points in their relationship and, you know, across different seasons and whatnot, they have had, you know, they have been closer than at other times. So like, I don't, it's certainly not like the first time where like, Buffy hasn't been fully supportive and supporting of mm -hmm. him. But I think it's the first time where he's been really, truly hurt physically. And maybe that leads to an emotional hurt as well. Mm -hmm. That where like before it's been like, oh, this girl I have a crush on won't go out with me. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's where they started. And then it's like, more like, well, I know, you know, 
I'm, you know, I'm like the guy who like fixes things or whatever or whatever. And like, or like he's had like Anya who's, you know, giving him sort of the emotional support. And so like if Buffy's not giving it to him, it's like easier to sort of like maybe play the sacrificial lamb Mm -hmm. metaphorically speaking in that case, because it's like, well, he still has Anya, (laughs) you know what I mean? So like, I think, I think at this point it's like, it definitely, like there's again, without necessarily getting into the blame game, like there's very much the thing of like, like he's seriously hurt and in the hospital and like, when that happened with Buffy, both Xander and Willow were there with her, right? Mm-hmm. Coming to visit her and help her and whatever. And it's like now that the shoe's on the other foot, mm-hmm. that's not the case. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I would say he doesn't feel the support or the, you know, whatever um, there. Because I, I don't... Whether Buffy wants to give him support or whatever like like I I would have a tough time saying she doesn't want to like support him in some way but like she also leaves and says she has more important things to do so like right is her is the type of support that she's willing to give the type that he needs at the moment um her support is let me go kill the bad guy you know and And, and that did this to you and he's sort of like that doesn't help him in the hospital, like, where he is right now. Getting, going back to your point of, like, we're going to talk about Buffy throughout, like, I feel like most of this particular conversation has been about Buffy, (laughs) because, like, I don't think you can really, it's hard to, like, have this conversation without going, I mean, we're going to have to do it, but, like, without going into, well, what's that end conversation? Okay, so let's, then let's deliberately pause on the Willow, Xander, Buffy, you know, triptych, and um, move over to Giles um, and Buffy because they have a scene together. Um, <laughs> it's a pretty short one. Let's stop but, talking um, about Buffy to talk about Buffy. It's a pretty short scene, but um, it's pretty to the point. <laughs> um, and kind of nothing has really changed from their antagonism from the previous episode where... Wait, that was the last episode, wasn't it? Where, um, or with Spike, or no, that was a few episodes ago. I don't remember now. It's been a couple where of weeks. Where Robin tries to kill Spike? Yes. Where they set him up to yes. be killed, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was like two episodes ago, but okay. like not that long ago. Right. So, um, they are still, there's a lot of friction and anger there between Giles and Buffy, I think. Um, kind of, you know, very shallow under the surface. Um, And so Giles sends, and we're going to talk about Spike and Andrew in a sec, but um, to do the Giles Buffy thing, Giles sends Spike on this sort of fact finding mission, um, Mm -hmm. which is the wrong move as far as Buffy's concerned, because it's immediately seen as another attempt to, you know, both, I I mean, from Buffy's point of view, it's doing a lot of things. It's potentially trying to set Spike up to get killed again. So, like, kind of trying to 
off him while she's not around. <clears throat> it right. it removes her ally. You know, she's talking about Spike as like the one person that I can trust right now. So, you know, kind of making sure that she's sort of on her own without any backup or support in what she wants to do. Um, and then it's just like another undermining of her, you know, authority that Giles is sort of making these sorts of huge decisions without consulting her and not kind of honoring her leadership of the group. Um, so it's sort of a betrayal on multiple levels. Whereas like, I think if Giles wanted to think about it, he could probably have realized that that's how Buffy would interpret his decision. I don't know that that is Giles' actual motivation for any of it. Like, I don't think he intends... This isn't, like, another assassination attempt for Spike. Like, I think he genuinely, like, wants information and will send Spike to go get it. Um... I don't know. And the fact that he sent to Andrew along with kind of proves that to me that like, I don't think Giles would miss Andrew, but I don't think he's just like randomly sending people out to get killed either. Like, you right. know, he, he actually, this is an actual job that he wants, you know, people to go complete and come back with information. Well, and, and that more than sending Andrew, with Spike, it's the, it's the fact that they're actually actively trying to get information about this. This isn't like they sent him somewhere just out of the way to, to not be there. Right? right. There's a legitimate like reason with like photo evidence of like why he's sending them there. Yeah. But like, Buffy's not interested in that because she's taking it as an offense and an attack or, mm -hmm. or, a, a you know, yeah. a, a way to, to separate, yeah, you know, divide and conquer or whatever, however she's looking at it at that point. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 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 I don't, I don't think we're at all meant to think that Giles's motivation is to get rid of either of them. I, I don't think, we necessarily need to think that Giles has any love for Spike or Andrew, no. but yeah. like, I think he's at least accepted that he has to put up with them and he might as like, if anything, Giles has struck me over the years as being a very practical man. And like, he's at least going to like use them to help, you know, get what they need. And mm -hmm. I think it's a recognition of Spike being a good fighter yeah. that he sends him out with Andrew. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, and a recognition of Andrew's just being annoying is why he sends Andrew. Like, I don't think it's any more than that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think Buffy's point or Buffy's, uh, perspective there i think that's where we start really seeing her starting to slip mm -hmm. as far as I, maybe slip is the wrong word but starting to go down a path of like 
more command and control mm -hmm. than she has been in the past. Mm -hmm. Because maybe legitimately she feels that she's being blindsided or whatever, even if that's not the intention. Um, and she also was literally blindsided. I mean, this is what, how, this is where not talking about Buffy first also hurts because like, we didn't talk about the whole thing with her and Caleb that we know. Sure, right. Happened. This is right after so, she like, gets back. This from is Caleb. right after yeah. that. And so she's literally blindsided there by Caleb, you know, doesn't see him and then suddenly he's there and hurts her and knocks her out and whatever. Yeah. And then now she comes home to find that like her one ally is gone. Yeah. That's not true that he are on the ally because as Giles points him out we're all on the same side here like right. we're all your ally we're all supporting you but right. she doesn't seem to understand or believe that right. and so that's right and I think part of what makes it you know difficult too is in some ways it's not a blind side in the fact that like it is very similar to what just happened with like Giles kind of sending Spike into a dangerous situation. Um, so it's one of those things where the fact that it's so reminiscent of that, I think, convinces Buffy more quickly that this is a betrayal in a way that Giles doesn't mean it to be. Um, you know, and that's where I think, like, you know, Giles his motivation is one thing, but he also doesn't really seem to be thinking of what he's doing from how it will appear from Buffy's point of view. Um, and not to say that his decision is wrong, but there's not necessarily consideration of how the, the appearance of it for her. I would um, agree with that, that there's not consideration, but I would also say, I, well, maybe I'll pose it as a question. Do you feel like Buffy's acting rationally here? Like, is this something that could have been predicted anyway? Like, this sort of reaction? Maybe, I mean, but. I think the, the, the assertion that uh, Spike is the one person who's watching her back is not a rational one. Like, you know, the, her claim that Spike is the one person she can trust and everybody else is sort of deliberately undermining her. Um, I think is not true. And, you know, and, and that's Buffy getting, uh, I guess, I don't know whether emotional sounds like like a gendered thing like, like it's not like hysterics or something right like <laughs> like i think that's it's not it's not a truthful statement let's put it that way it may feel that way from her point of view but i don't think that that's what we've seen um but uh coming so quickly on the heels of giles and you know robin uh conspiring against spike I can see how, I, I think it, it's not, you know, irrational of Buffy to wonder what the motivation is if suddenly she comes back and Spike's been sent away again. Um, you know, that that's, 
a suspicious, potentially suspicious thing. Um, you know, like maybe if he'd prefaced it with, I know how this is going to come across, but let me show you what I found, you know, or, you know, but the fact that it, it it's become this sort of Buffy and Giles have, have become a sort of one against the other, you know, like they're certainly the two of them are not really working as a team at the moment. It's a power struggle. You know, it's Giles kind of, you know, I don't think Giles is trying to take over, but I think he is trying to assert his experience and his sort of authority from like, you know, an academic or an intellectual standpoint of, of the person who knows better and who should be able to offer advice that is listened to. Um, and you have that versus Buffy's. None of that matters because when it comes down to it, only one person can really make decisions. So you can give all the advice you want, but it's, it's, you know, she's kind yeah. of saying like, it's up to me whether to listen to it or not. And you know maybe so a couple things i'll say there is that like also though we don't actually know how long buffy was knocked out right sure. and so like i think giles i think there's a case to be made that giles isn't like trying to take over or like assert or you know conflict with Buffy but that like she was gone and they didn't know where she went or what she was doing or how long she would even be away mm -hmm. I mean I guess she did say before she left that like she was going to pick stuff up at the school but like that also could have been ex an excuse and like it's reasonable to think that maybe she was just off doing something else not like doing something else like in a bad way but just like taking time for herself to like gather her thought. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, so with her not being there and not being in touch, like, I think there's a case to be made from Giles's perspective, whether right or wrong to say like, so I needed to send someone. Sure. Who didn't know where Buffy was. And like, maybe he could have sent faith instead, but like, no. And I, I, you know, I don't even disagree with, what he does. I think it's right. a, it's a lack of insight into each of them. It's a lack of insight into how they're coming across to the other one, you know, and, a, and a kind of a stubbornness to consider the appearance of their own actions, you know, to, you know, how, how does Buffy telling everybody, um, you know, we'll get into this, but how does her kind of, having to vocally assert her authority appear to people that are being hurt and killed. And, you know, for Giles, I think having been through this kind of break in their trust, how to present his ideas in a way that shows Buffy that he's on her side and supportive and not trying to like sabotage things, um, you know, for his own, you know, agenda or whatever. So, sure. you know. 
Anyway, they don't talk about that. <laughs> they they just sort of no get angry, you know. So there's uh, you know, they that's kind of saved for later on. Um. Okay, I do want to talk about Spike and Andrew a little bit. Um. And not even, I mean, probably even more time on their interaction than on what on they, what all they actually find out. Um, yeah, because some I, of it I we mean, don't even really is... have the significance of it yet. Or sure. Um. Anyway, uh, we were talking a little bit before recording the other day about how you really enjoy their interaction and. Um, yeah, it is true. Andrew riding on the back of the motorcycle with the helmet, like Dawn, you know, kind of like mm -hmm. hanging on to Spike. That That's a pretty funny image. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, and their whole like banter about like onion blossoms and like whatever, you know. <laughs> I mean, that, that whole onion blossom thing is one of my favorite like exchanges, I think, in the entire series. So mm -hmm. like definitely definitely enjoy that yeah um and it's like like it's it's made all the more by spikes like final comment of if you tell what about this i'll bite you <laughs> like yeah anyway. um, um yeah so and, well and then the the second part of that is that once they get to the monastery andrew's whole attempt to be the bad cop um, is hilarious, but not just because it's Andrew trying to be a bad cop, but also because like, it seems to me that he's totally trying to mimic how Xander and Anya mm -hmm. worked him over. Mm -hmm. Right. Like mm -hmm. with Anya playing the bad cop there. Right. And so, so there's that like, it's not just that like, it's like, good cop, bad cop from like whatever, you know, if he's watched law and order or whatever, you know, a bunch of times or whatever movies or, you know, wherever he might've seen that. It's that like, this was him at the beginning of the season, <laughs> like in the, you know, in the like perpetrator chair. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, just kind of like the attempt there at this sort of role reversal and do you the think obvious that, sort of humorous, humorous failure at it. Do you think that he still kind of considers himself a big bad, like potentially like, like, do you think he, he imagines that he comes across as an intimidating bad cop? Um, I don't, I don't know. I think, I tend to think that Andrew is always sincere, even when like he's, 180 degrees <laughs> different from mm -hmm. like it like if you go back to like his storyteller episode right like right i definitely think he always has a uh what's the word a uh, a uh, uh, sort of egotistical view of his own like sort of epicness yeah uh but i don't think that like i think I don't know that I would say, like, he still thinks of himself as a big bad. I think he thinks of himself as a reformed big bad right. who is now a big good. And well, like, and that's kind of what I meant. Like, yeah. 
he's on the side of the good guys now, as he kind of likes to tell us, but he still retains those earlier sort of, you know, roots as one of the, you know, the supervillains. Sure. So, um, yeah, yeah, it would be no, funny totally, to see the storyteller version of like, you know, what does this look like in his head? Um, you know, and the idea that if he's bad cop, that makes Spike the good cop, which is kind of a, like, hilarious, you know, thing from Andrew's perspective to think that, like, Spike would be your, you know. But but also, like, Spike is kind of his role model. Because remember when Willa first bumps into Andrew, he's, like, getting the blood and has, like, the long, flat right. trench coat and, right. like kind of like trying to model himself after mm-hmm. Spike, basically. Right. So yeah. Like like I feel like this is kind of Andrew's dream in a sure. way. Like yeah. of going on adventures with Spike, you know, on a motorcycle in the middle of the night to mm-hmm. gather intel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, no, that's that's true. And it, they, yeah, their interaction is pretty funny. Um anything I don't mean that I I don't know that we learn maybe we'll hear when Spike gets back kind of a bit more about it. Um like what is the intel that they actually gather um in the church. So we well, kind of get the right. That's the main that's the main thing. Um Yeah. What is it? It is not for thee. It is for her alone to wield. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, so we'll have to come. I mean, we can probably just put a pin in that and come back to it, I guess. Because I know what it is. Yeah, I don't. And I, I mean, obviously you don't know what it is. And it, and it made would, I, it made Caleb angry, right? That's what we're told right. is that he, when he read it, he went into a rage so, and like slaughtered like everybody. So going back to uh, how do I piece this together without being too leading and like whatever? I don't maybe I can't, so maybe I just shouldn't. So that's fine. We'll come back to it at some point. After that, tantalizing. Well, okay, no, I'll, I'll I'll say what I was gonna say because like, how did how did Caleb get Buffy out to his whatever winery or where 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 are they again? Like, I don't even know what it is that he's at. Isn't it like a? Oh, they talk about like a vineyard or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you remember like what sort of the lore was? <sighs> how did he get Buffy? So it he, remember he, he has the he girl left in his the girl. Truck. He beat up the girl and did he give her a message? Yes. And then Well, do you remember what the message was? No. Okay. All right. Well then never mind. I mean I could you, if I pulled up our notes. Do you want me to tell you what the message was? You can tell me. I don't the, I can't the remember. The message was the message was I have something of yours. Oh right. All right. So the question becomes, was that just a, a tease? So, so, like, if you put that together with this, like, what's the it here? Hmm. It is not for thee. It is for her alone to wield. 
you could make an argument that either the I have something of yours was just a ruse to get her to come. Mm -hmm. Or maybe he actually does have something of hers. Mm -hmm. And he's upset because this inscription tells him he can't use it. Right. So I'm just going to speculate. Um, that and like, this is where I'm trying not to like lead. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So the only thing that comes, don't confirm or deny anything. The only thing that comes to mind is her plan at the end. Her guess about what's at the vineyard is that it's um, his power, whatever that means. If that's a tangible thing or a symbolic thing, whatever, like, you know, his power is at the vineyard because that's where all the bad guys are. So we're going to go and take it. Um, So like whatever's making him sort of like super strong and able to like beat her up. So the change of the pronoun there to, you know, it is for her alone to wield makes me think like, what if it's not the source of his power? What if it's the source of Buffy's power? You know, like what if there's something that, it, you know, that he finds and this inscription says it's not for you only. I'm assuming that her is Buffy. That could be wrong, but, um, I wonder if, you know, he does or, have or some like sort the of... like the Slayer, like whoever that might right, be. Right. Like maybe, maybe there is power at the vineyard, but maybe it's hers rather than his. Um, that's just a guess. Okay. And whether, I don't know whether that means it's like held in an object of some kind or right. you know well, I, who knows what I mean what we've seen like talismans before right. and yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Or it could um, be something more ethereal and whatever. Yeah. And I think it that does. would kind of go with the idea of he he can't wield it or he can't really own it for some reason. Um which might explain why he would say to Buffy that I have something of yours. Um, right, because when he says that, he's already seen the inscription, and yes, right. Like, like this, this is this attack happened a while ago. Right, right, right. So, yeah. So that's 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 my prediction right now. Okay. Um, okay. So, faith in the potentials. Another great band name that we came up with. Yeah. Um, let's start with Anya's presentation to, you know, cause it kind of sets the tone for things, I think, um, kind of preaching to the choir somewhat, um, of, you know, beware their teeth and the claws they use to shred flesh, like telling them true things that are nevertheless like completely unhelpful, you know, or, or that they can't do anything about, you know, like, you know, that sunlight is effective, but they don't come out in the day or, um, you know, staking them works, but their skin is so tough that you'd have to have super strength to even do it, which they don't have, um, except for like the activated slayers. Um, right. So 
uh, her kind of, you know, Anya's sort of habitual helpfulness that doesn't always provide a lot of the, the, the helpy doesn't always feel very benefited right. by, you know, the wisdom that she's kind of trying to pass on, her, but she's sort of sort earnestly of, doing her best. Right. Her sort of like upbeat, like trying to stay positive about like, right. Well, right. at least they can't go in the sun. Right. <laughs> like, well, she's telling you things that you already know and can't well, change. Well, not and, only that they know, yeah. but like the way that she's saying them is like making it, making them feel even worse about it. Right. Like. Right. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. And like driving some of them to seek other counsel and yeah. right. distraction. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um. But, you know, Anya, Anya sometimes gets an A for effort. Like, you have to appreciate the fact that she's there and doing what she can. You know, like, whatever, you know, she kind of says, like, I'm contributing in whatever way. Now, even if it's not ultimately that helpful, um, you know, she is sort of down there trying to give them a pep talk and sort of give them sure. whatever pointers she can. Well, and seems like at this point that there's sort of like a curriculum in place, right? Like she's the, maybe, maybe she's like the defense against the dark arts teacher. Sure. Right. Um, yeah. Which they, they, I'd say that cause they refer to like Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. in the, uh, like shouldn't you be down at Hogwarts or whatever. Um, right. And she's about as effective as most defense against the dark right. arts teachers, well, exactly. which is to say not much, you know. Exactly. Like, I mean, not that she doesn't have knowledge and stuff, because, like, she's a former, you know, she's an ex-demon and whatever. But, like, yeah, like, as far as, like, imparting the knowledge in an effective and, you know, useful way, like, that's what is sort of lacking in her presentation right. and and this is as far as i want to go down the road of comparing anya to umbridge because that's i don't want to do that but that kind of thing of here's this theory you know go go save your own lives with theory that like you know like in theory you can do all these things but like in practice is like a very different you know, and that, that isn't to say the potentials have obviously been training. It's not like they haven't had any practical right, guidance, sure. but that idea of like that as if this bullet point list of ways to kill Uber vamps is actually going to like help them kill Uber vamps, you know, um, is, you know, that might make Anya feel useful, but from the point of view of the potential sort of sitting there that doesn't make them feel safer than they, you know, it makes them feel more vulnerable than they already do. Mm -hmm. sure. um, and you start to get a little bit of dissent in the ranks. Like you said, like, you know, Kennedy and Amanda both kind of make their way upstairs, um, you know, and Rona, you know, throws out her kind of skeptical, comments every so often so yeah. you know those three are kind of the spokespeople so kind of representing the lack of confidence 
you know, within the group, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, and also, you know, sort of incidental, but going upstairs to be around Faith. You know, I guess that's where really Faith starts to kind of come in as, in a, you know, at least in an emotional way, the new sort of leader of the group. Um, yeah, sort of a mentor or like another person to sort of look to. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and faith is not one for theory, you know? Like faith is a very right. active yeah. doer. Um, let's, if we can't fight it right now and, we, and we're not going to like train on fighting it, then we have to sort of exercise, you know, the anxiety somehow. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so she, of course, you know, that's kind of how they end up partying at the bronze. Um, right. Which, and she's not even doing a bad job of it. Like, she takes the drink out of Amanda's hand. Like, it's not like, you know, as far as faith parties go, this is a pretty tame one. Like, it seems, right. you do get a sense that she is trying to be like the chaperone and look out for them and you know Mm -hmm. um like i don't this isn't faith in whatever season like back in season three like tempting buffy to go play hooky and like you know get wild and crazy and everything um you know this is a much more mature expression of that i think where she does want them to sort of blow off steam but is also kind of keeping an eye on things and trying to sort of keep them safe while she's out um yeah no i i mean and that's the sort of tragic part of like how buffy finds them like brawling and you know whatever is that like actually faith is doing a pretty good job up until like the cops come and try to arrest her. Now, I mean, you know, we talk about like what maybe Faith and Giles could have and should have predicted. Like, mm-hmm. we know that Faith is on the run and an escaped convict and like, mm-hmm. you know, wanted like in Sunnydale of all places. Like, you know, definitely right. is should be someone who like is aware of kind of what's what her status is and like yeah how much she how how far she can sort of push the envelope um right and it's i think very like giles it's a a case of it's not so much that what she does is wrong it's um that lack of anticipation of how it'll come across to buffy mostly Um, you know, like, not that she couldn't have predicted that Buffy would be upset, but that doesn't seem to really stop her. Or like you said, maybe they thought Buffy's gone and they don't know when she'll be back. So we can't just like sit around, um, and wait forever. And so, yeah, so they kind of just go ahead and do it anyway. Um, anything else about potentials, really? I mean, well, I did want to point out the kind of teamwork part of it, that once the cops sort of mm-hmm. start getting 
out of control. Um, they all start to put their theory into practice and actually like handle themselves pretty well. Um, sure. You know, any one of them isn't the slayer, but working together, they can kind of make up for some of the lack of strength that they have. Um, you know, oh, there's, feel, there's a I feel theme. like we've seen this there's theme, a theme emerging here. Yeah. <laughs> right. Can't quite put my finger on it, but yeah. where have we seen a similar thing happen? Yeah. yeah. Um, which of course, in the emotion of the, of her feelings of betrayal, completely escapes Buffy. Um, right. You know, uh, which is a shame because this is what she wants. This is what she's been trying to get people to kind of work toward all along is this, you know, being able to handle themselves. And what that means is the teamwork. Um, yes. Except for one crucial point mm -hmm. that it's not her that they're following. Sure. Like that's what it boils down. Like, okay. Cause we're going to move in to talk about, cause we're already like over time, but mm -hmm. we have to move in to like talk about yeah. the ending because yeah, like that's, which I think we can probably do at this point. That's the, that's the one crucial thing. It's not that, like it, like you mentioned before, like she doesn't stop to sort of think about it from other people's perspective. If you think about it from like faith and the potentials and all that perspective, like you're absolutely right. Like they are they are working together as a team and like bonding and doing all this stuff, but they're not doing what Buffy wants them to do. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what comes to a head is that like her position is that she's the slayer, or at least the, like, high slayer. Like, whatever, you know. Slayer like, in residence, yeah. And, like, I don't think that's even, like, a point of contention. Like, I think Faith has come as a, you know, person to help Buffy achieve her mission. Like... I don't, I, I think Faith is like acquiescing to, mm -hmm. you know, Buffy to say, yeah, I'm here to like help you. So I don't even think there, it's not like the contention, like, again, like you pointed out, like season three, like it's not that same kind of contention of like, well, I'm the true slayer and I'll kill you or whatever. Like, right. you know, anything along those lines. Um, but because they're not, you know, doing what Buffy wants and expects them to be doing. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. And so regardless of whether they're all together or not, like that doesn't matter to Buffy. And mm -hmm. I think this is where, like when we've seen in the past, when, when things go wrong is when, you know, they start working against each other and mm -hmm. drifting apart and that kind of thing. And what happens in the in the final confrontation here then becomes the important thing is that like you know Buffy's like we all you know we all need to be together on this we all you know need to do you know be on the same page and like all of this stuff and it's like well 
everyone is except you. Right. But she wants everyone else to change to follow her when in reality, like, like just even from like what's easiest perspective would be like for her to say, okay, well, what is it you all want? Like if, if the true goal here is for all of us to be together, then it really comes down to like, she should be listening to them and like doing more to like be on the same page as them and mm -hmm. not like saying you all need to fall in line. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Giles gets the closest to articulating that. I don't think he does it perfectly or like in the best you know, most effective, I should say, manner. Mm -hmm. um, but when he says, like, you know, we're clearly demonstrating that we're not all together. Mm -hmm. But, like, the demonstration is that there's only one person who's not with everyone else. Right. And that's that's really what... It's not like everyone right, it's not has a 50-50 split or... Yeah. Yeah, or, like, everyone's kind of going off on their own thing. It's like, they're all very much in alignment, except for Buffy. Spike and Andrew aren't there. Yeah. That's an important point. Yes. Yes. Like that Buffy actually brings up. Like, right. oh, did is this why you sent Spike away? And it's you know perhaps a valid question, but also still ignoring the reality of like Buffy's the only one who's not mm -hmm. in alignment with everyone else. And so her perspective is, I'm the Slayer, I'm in charge, you all need to listen to me. And, and like, that's where I feel like Anya's question is, like, well, why are you automatically the, the one? Mm -hmm. Like, you were chosen, but so was fate. And, like, if, we're, if, if it's, like, we have to have a Slayer as, as our head, which, like, they don't even bring up, like, is that actually even true, that they mm -hmm. need a Slayer to be the one to make the decision? Because, like, historically, that also hasn't been the case either, right? It's the Slayer sure. and the Watcher. And the Watcher gives the orders. Right. And the Slayer does the things. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, we've seen that evolve and, like, understand why that's not the case here. So I'm not necessarily saying we go back to that. But that does, that does sort of add a layer of complexity because, like, well, okay, maybe it's neither the Slayer or, nor the Watcher. Maybe there's someone else who, like, Right. Should be in charge. Buffy's assuming a status quo that hasn't always been. Right. You know, she's kind of what you're describing of her as this, you know, the Slayer and specifically Buffy as the sole military leader of her group is like a very recent mm -hmm. phenomenon. It's really kind of it just this very season recent. in a way. Like, you know, very like recent I and yeah, I'm oh, sorry. Well, no, I was just going to say, like, I feel like that's even been more true this season, whereas, like, in previous seasons, when it was just, like, the Scoobies, when it was a smaller group, it was very much more Buffy in consultation with the others. And there were times where Giles or the others would not necessarily overrule her, but push back, and there would be debate, and there would be a group consensus. Whereas, I feel like maybe with this you know, sudden growth of in the amount of people where we just have all of these potentials sort of coming out of the woodwork. Buffy's sort of position as the sole leader has become more and more sort of clarified in a way that it never really 
had been before. Sure. Sorry, you were you were starting to say something. Well, it's it's a consent of the governed sort of thing mm -hmm. because I feel like like even when it was like the school Scooby is following her lead, it's like they're all friends and they all trust her and are willing to follow her. But you're right too to say that like there were times where they pushed back when they didn't feel like she was doing the right thing. And at times she listened to them. So like here, as you get more people and it becomes like they're, they're showing up at her house, you know, the potential start showing up at her house for whatever reason, right? Like the, they're getting sent there by the coven or like Giles is like shows up and, you know, has potentials with him and stuff like that. Like, mm -hmm. like it's just sort of the fault of like, it's Buffy's house. And so like people are sort of fleeing to her, not just as, I mean, primarily because she is, you know, the slayer and has the power and can protect them, but also like it's her house. And so it becomes like her rule, you know, it's her castle, her rule. She's the mm -hmm. queen and, can decide what goes on. So there's sort of like a twofold sort of claim to the throne, so to speak, if you want mm -hmm. to call it that. But I think the realization as time goes on is that like, there's more like, like you said, like that's just a status quo that's like only recently established. And I think, I mean, the trigger being this, badly orchestrated and failed uh attempt to attack Caleb like like not just failed but like to the point where like people died and you know yeah. became disabled throws that assumption and that sort of um you know the status quo or or the the um just sort of the de facto you know Buffy as leader idea into question and that's mm -hmm. like Buffy doesn't see that as being thrown into question because of that she sees yeah. it as no I'm still the leader we just had like a setback um but the others are like well wait a minute like why are you even the leader in the first place it's just because we kind of acquiesced and and agreed to let you lead us but like now that we're you know, getting killed and like doing other things, like maybe, maybe we don't want to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. And, and so there's that, like, you know, Buffy talks about being a dictator, but like, you can only be a dictator until like the people rise up and kick you out, which, you know, maybe we should have talked about Doctor Who first. <laughs> but like, but like, yeah. you know, there is, there, that's, that's the thing of it. It's like once the people realize, like, we don't have to let you yeah. dictate us anymore. Right. Like we're powerful together. Like we just proved by beating up a bunch of cops, mm -hmm. you know, if we band together, then maybe we can mm -hmm. like not have you be the leader and lead us into places where we're going to get killed and maimed. And whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of what ends up happening. Mm -hmm. Um, 
All right. I mean, so, okay, you mentioned, like, Kennedy and Rona and Amanda speaking sort of their pieces, sort mm-hmm. of, like, softly at first to Faith, and then, like, speaking out, like, in the, you know, potential Slayer meeting or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I don't know if you want to talk about any of what they say specifically. I don't feel like it's that surprising, like, what any of them says. Like, Rona is definitely the most sort of caustic. Mm-hmm. you know uh example of their sort of um yeah. what do you call it like their their uh dissension um yeah kennedy we've always sort of seen like as kind of like the snarky you know mm-hmm. whatever and like i don't think she's that much of a surprise there i'm more interested like what your thoughts are on like the Scoobies and mm-hmm. like the other allies of Buffy that like, including like Principal Wood and yeah, the, like their responses. Like, yeah. What do you, what do you think of like the things they say and sort of the positions they take? Um, so taking them as a group versus sort of individually. Um, you can tell me if you agree or disagree or can articulate it differently than me. I I feel like all the things that they say as individuals sort of make sense for their characters. Like, you know, I get that Xander's, you know, faith in Buffy is shaken and the kind of um, uncomfortable humor of oh, your point's a bit to my left, is like, you know, mm-hmm. very Xander in the way that it's like both kind of joking and like getting at something kind of, you know, uncomfortable at the same time. Um, taken as a group, I'm not sure from like a writing point of, you know, perspective or like an overall effect perspective the end the build-up you know and the kind of end decision of overthrowing Buffy essentially um something about it doesn't quite work for me um and comes a bit it feels as though it comes a bit abruptly it's not like it's not set up um like, I think what we've done is gone through the episode and kind of show all the ways that everybody's point of view is clearly laid out and things are set up. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not the argument itself. Like, I think this is an argument that's been coming and, like, was inevitable of what will happen when... Buffy is going in one direction and everybody's going in another and there is no compromise to be had. And what are we going to do? Um, But the kind of breaking point of maybe especially Dawn saying, you can't stay here. Um, I don't know. Something about that, like, it's not, I I don't want to just say like, oh, it's surprising and therefore I didn't like it. Um, I, sure. It's just, I felt like I needed more to get to that, 
that's quite like that's taking it pretty far you know like getting to the point in the show where not only do they kind of reject Buffy's plan and sort of question her leadership or her even her right to be their sole leader but where she's literally kicked out of the house by her own sister like that's a lot um and I'm not sure that for me they totally justified getting there um mm-hmm. you know and maybe it's because Dawn isn't super involved in this episode you know that she's kind of in there amongst you know the potentials um and it's just like well, but you know she's kind of leading them at the bronze after no they, I mean they, she's they, definitely involved but like I just feel like I needed more from Dawn to get to the place where I buy that she comes forward and sort of makes this decision. Um, Cause nobody else says you can't stay here. It's Dawn. Um, like they're all kind of just saying like, we just refuse to go along with this plan is kind mm-hmm. of essentially what it's boiled down to. Um, and it's that it's the leap between that where I'm struggling a little bit, like getting to the place where it's it's not simply a refusal to follow her orders or to kind of acknowledge her authority, but then to say you're cast out from the group. Um, I don't know. I don't quite. I don't quite buy it. Um, I don't dislike it. I just wish that there was more to justify that final. That's such an extreme decision that I kind of wish they pushed it a bit further. Do you think that Don is saying that expecting Buffy to leave? Yeah. Because here, here, so here's my kind of nobody, nobody. Nobody seems surprised when she does, really. But here's my thing. Like, well, and that's fine. But, like, what Dawn says to Buffy is precisely what Buffy is saying to everybody else. If you're not going to follow, if you're not going to fall in line, get out of my way. Like, leave. Like, you're not welcome. So when it comes to the point of... I I see it as more of a parallel, I guess, than what you seem to see it as. Mm-hmm. And so when it, when it becomes Dawn saying to Buffy, everybody else here is in line. And if you can't get in line, then you're the one who needs to leave. Mm-hmm. It's just repeating back, but from the strength of having literally everyone else backing her, which Buffy doesn't have. So I guess I don't see it so much as like, maybe it's a I'm rubber, you're glue thing, right? Like, or it's just reflecting back onto Buffy exactly how she's reacting to everyone else. And like, Sure. No, I, I, I kind of see what you mean. I don't know that I, I ever... I will, well, so can I add one more thing, though, yeah. before you swap? You know that not... Dawn gets a lot of hate. 
this is one of the frequent this things that one of is the pointed things. out sure. as to why people hate Don. Because I, I think probably a lot of people feel similarly sure. to you in that. I mean, I'm not, I don't, I don't even, I'm not even saying you hate Don or anything. Cause I mean, no, I don't. you know, however, however you feel about her or not, like, I do think the same sort of thing. I mean, there's, there's a lot of like, well, Don's not even real and you know, it's Buffy's house anyway. And how can she even kick her out? And like, I think like, like there's those kind of comments. And I think those are just dumb because like, that's not the point here. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like, Buffy like technically owns a house because she's the adult and you know inherited it from her mom or whatever like that's not the point of what's going on it's not like this isn't like a legal battle right it's a it's a moral and like democratic battle Mm -hmm. that I see as going on here and I think I think the the I see it just as Dawn flipping the table and saying to Buffy, saying back to Buffy exactly what Buffy's saying to everyone else, but having like the the moral high ground of like the democratic mm-hmm. support behind her. Whether so, whether the democracy is right to like overthrow their leader and right. whatever, like like we can we can extol or you know, uh uh, uh you know uh what's whatever the opposite of extol is uh you know the virtues or not of democratic rule you know rule by majority like sometimes it works fine and some other times maybe not so much right like especially when the majority is like oppressing the minority like that might Mm -hmm. not be such a good time when you know democracy works but like without like making a judgment on the outcome like I think there's there's a sort of like a procedural at least moral high ground that Don has here, yeah. and I think that's what gets reflected in Buffy leaving. Sure, is that she she might feel like the decision is wrong, and so regardless of the process, like just like the others don't fall in line when she says do it, she's not falling in line when the others say it either. So like. Mm-hmm. I think at that point it just becomes, you know, a realization of not even that like they're stronger than me and could kick me out if they needed to, but just like at that by that point Buffy realizes like I, they're not gonna follow me, and like you kind of have to like this is the road they're choosing, and whoever is damned, you know, be damned. And like, we have to kind of go our separate ways in part. So I don't, I mean, I don't know that I've sufficiently answered your, or not answered, but like responded to your comments, you know, in a satisfactory way, Mm -hmm. but, you know, definitely want to recognize that one, like there are a lot of people who do feel like this is like, sure. At least a crappy thing that Don does, whether they put the same, level of thought into it about like how fast it happens and you know Mm -hmm. the way it sort of feels in the moment versus like everything else like I you know yeah maybe some people have thought through that more than others but like right right at least at least to say that like you're not the only one who feels like this isn't the right way that things should go but also like I don't 
I don't know that like the writers or like the story is meant to say that this is the way things should go. No, that's either. And that's so. why I'm trying to separate. I like, I think it's a fascinating kind of move to make to like have them kind of essentially overthrow Buffy. I just don't know that I'm completely three, three, three episodes before the series finale. Right. Like I'm not opposed <laughs> to that decision. I just don't know if it was, if, if, if that event was fully justified for my satisfaction and also to your point about Dawn, I don't, for me personally, maybe other people disagree. I'm not bothered by the fact that like, it's her that does it even Um, like, I, I don't think it's, it's not an issue of Dawn getting like needing to be put in her place. Like who does she think she is? Like, I think that's a, that's a fast, that's an interesting choice to say, it's her house too. And she has a say in who stays here. You know, I think like just because she's younger doesn't mean that she has no agency in her own house. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I wish like we had scenes between Buffy and Xander, Buffy and Giles, whatever. I wish we had a scene of Buffy and Dawn where you could see more personal motivation of the trust they're being broken to get to this point um i would i would say though that we it's not only between her and don but it's when buffy first comes in and it's don and faith and amanda and kennedy right Mm -hmm. is rona there too i i I can't remember who all might be there anyway so when buffy comes in and they're there and like like Don's like asking her questions and trying to get engaged and Buffy's like ignoring her and like pushing I her know, up. I know, uh, but we need something bigger here. Like maybe, but like I mean also like if you have an episode where you have Buffy like individually act act, you know, uh uh not acting but like interacting with every individual character like I don't know that that's even necessarily possible or whatever. Well, I'm just saying like but she's maybe, the linchpin. Maybe it's reading too much into it, but like I do think there's a sense. I I think there's enough focus from the camera and everything that like you get the sense of like Dawn's trying to get her attention and trying to get her to notice and what, and Buffy's just completely ignoring her and like mm-hmm. all of that. So okay, maybe that's still not enough, and that's fine for you. But I I don't think it. I don't think we're completely devoid of. No, it's not, it, it's not devoid of motivation, but I, it's a, if I was on the mixing board, I would be dialing the Dawn element of this episode, like, up, um, you okay. know, and, and because she's, she is the linchpin of that final decision. Everybody else has gone so far as we, we're refusing orders. Dawn gives an order, you know, like, says, like, this she doesn't is... give an order. She gives a choice. She well, says, she... if you can't do this, then you need to leave. Um. So she says, I, I don't quite see it that way. She says, we have to be together on this. You can't be a part of it. So I need you to leave. You know, like she's. Well, all right. I mean, um, now if, if Buffy caved, but would they let point... her back in? Yeah. At that point, the choice Buffy's made her choice. Okay, you're right. Sure. So maybe technically she doesn't word it as a choice. But at that point, Buffy has made the decision. I'm just saying, like, if they're going to use Dawn as the one to really, like, push things to the point where Buffy actually does leave, I would have liked 
some more, you know, stuff to push her to that. Because I don't think that's clearly not something that she does lightly. So um, I could have just used some more padding there is all. Um, I, I mean, and Buffy says right before that, I can't watch you just throw everything. I, you know, everything that I know I'm right about this. I just need a little, I can't stay here and watch her lead you into some disaster. Yeah. And no, then John and says, then you can't stay here. Like yeah, that, I'm not like saying it, it comes out of nowhere. Um, or that but Buffy no, I'm just, isn't. I'm just saying, of... like that's the choice. Like the choice is there. Like Buffy made that choice. Sure. No, absolutely, she does. Like she could, she could have caved and saved herself a lot of trouble by, like, just at some point in the argument, just completely conceding and going along with it, and she chooses not to. So I'm not saying that Buffy is a pure victim and everybody else is like just being mean to her or something. Um, you know, it's just, it's that, it's that mix of elements. Something is a little off for me, but it doesn't like hate, make me hate Dawn or anything. Um, no, I, I mean, and I the, like what they're, the, it's the, Dawn I like the idea of what they're going a, for, even if, I have issues with like the execution. The the Don haters use this as just another excuse to like pile on. Sure. The hate. It, sure. It's not. I don't think it's like. I think people who get to this point either have already made up their decision, you know, to hate Don, and sure. so this just becomes another thing about which to express that hate, right? Not right, or you know, through which to express that hate, right. not. This isn't like the cause of that leads people. Well, especially if this goes bad, because, you know, as soon as like this, you know, you know, like you said, we don't know yet what the result of this will be. We can argue later about was this a good move or not for a Buffy or for anybody. Um, so I'm sure if if things go downhill, which they tend to towards the end of the season um i can see that right about may when yeah like we're yeah. we're about at the point where <laughs> things start hitting the fan um i can definitely see how this becomes like evidence of how stupid dawn is that like this was her fault and clearly it wasn't like dawn is only the climax of a conversation that's going on between every other character there so it's certainly mm -hmm. not her acting on her own um like you said all she's doing is really kind of articulating the way everybody else feels except for buffy um so i don't think dawn deserves the blame if this turns out to have been like a bad call or something or no more than anybody else does they can all right they can all share the blame um sure Anyway, so yeah, but she does leave. Um, where to go to? I don't know. Um, well, but there's that important ending scene with Faith, though, too. Of, you know, telling her, basically, don't, 
don't fail them. Like, don't be afraid to leave them. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it's only yeah. going to get harder. Protect them, but leave them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, so, do you have a prediction? Like, do you, so you, I mean, you said, like, if this doesn't work out well and you don't know where Buffy is going, do you have any thoughts about where she might be going and what might happen? Or, well, just purely speculative at this point, I know, but just curious what your I mean what hook, your gut tells you. Hooking up with her ally Spike seems like a natural move. Um where she if she knows exactly where he is or can intercept him on his way back to her, the house, um that is yeah, sort of the question. But I would think I that, don't think they ever get into like where Spike actually went, right? Like Giles yeah, tells her they, he sent him away, but Right. Right. So, um, you know, or I mean, I could definitely with or without Spike, I think Buffy's probably headed to go carry out her plan. Um, you know, something's at the vineyard and, you know, she's convinced that she has to go get it. So, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I feel like the, I don't know if it's cliche or not, but like the obvious kind of thing is either like Buffy gets captured and everybody has to like rescue her or vice versa. Like everybody else ends up in trouble and like Buffy comes in at the last minute. I kind of hope it's more nuanced than that, that it's a bit of both. Um, Sure. Cause I think this is a good BSG thing where, they're all wrong, you know, so like, you know, or, or they're all right, you know, depending on sort of how you look at it. So I kind of hope that they're all a little beach, right? They're all. so I hope that the kind of whatever the reconciliation is, I hope that reflects that a little bit. Um, and it's not just like, Oh, if we'd only done exactly what Buffy told us, everything would have been great. Like, I don't think this is a show about like, how perfect and flawless Buffy is. Um, Mm -hmm. But also like she is the Slayer. So it's not like they're going to like save the day without her. Right. Still three episodes. Three to go. There's a lot of potentials who could die. This is true. A lot of potentially dead potentials. Yep. Yep. And they just sent away the Slayer to, you know, now they're down a Slayer with uh, a, keeping them safe, which is, uh, is not great for the, for the potentials. Anyway, we should probably wrap up. Is there any other, anything no, else? No, I just wanted to make sure to, to mention that final yeah. moment with Faith, um, who, who herself doesn't seem too thrilled with the prospect of Buffy leaving. Like, no, I think, I think she makes that pretty clear that she's it, not looking for, she wasn't trying to take anybody's job or looking right. for Buffy to leave or yeah. Right. So now she's kind of stuck with leading. Mm-hmm. She, she's See on how the that good goes. side now. Like, she and Andrew are reformed big bads. Yeah. And, uh, and Spike, too. We got a lot of reformed big bads here, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully they uh, stay that way. Um, right. 
Yeah. Cool. Cool. So let's uh, let's move into Doctor Who. Okay. Um, you know what? Actually, sorry. Mm -hmm. Before we do that, uh -huh. we should talk about Robin Wood briefly. Oh, too, because like I I did just want to like acknowledge like when i was asking i didn't i don't know if i if i mentioned him specifically when i asked like what are your thoughts about like mm -hmm. how everyone reacts but i did want to get your thoughts on his comment too because he were you expecting him to not side with buffy um i'm trying to think of so, how far into the conversation because at a certain point you can kind of feel the tide turning. And so it's then it becomes relatively, sort of a, yeah. It's relatively early because it's, it's faith. Like says it's like when faith is like, you know, I didn't come here to take anything away, but I'm not going to be your lap dog. And like Buffy, like interrupts. Right. And he says, and then what is like, yeah. I believe faith had the floor. Yeah. So like, I mean, it's not as outright, you know, betrayal or like whatever not betrayal but, but like you know also... outspoken against her as some of the other people but he also doesn't speak in buffy's defense at all well and, and... he's also the one to call for a vote like which yes. is not unimportant like the one who kind of says like i think when he realizes the way the vote will go he kind of says all right let's take a vote so we vote and yeah. so we vote and and the implication being that we're a democracy and everyone will honor the result of the vote, you know, like the only point of having a vote is if it counts for something. So he's sort of presuming that it does, which maybe yeah. Buffy wasn't. She was never expected to have a vote or ask for one. Mm -hmm. um, so he does kind of, he's quiet, but he does kind of, turn the tables at a few like key moments, I think. Um, you know, and yeah, I wasn't expecting it in the sense that like he just met Faith. So why he's all of a sudden coming in with a vote of no confidence and going with, you know, the person he just met is sort of maybe contributes to my sense of the quickness of this whole thing. Well, and that's um, why I wanted to make sure we talked about him because, like, right. he's coming into this meeting kind of blind, right? Compared to everyone else. So, yeah, right. I, I was just curious what your take on his position and and interactions were. Right, right. I mean, yeah, like again, I, I, I think you know he definitely did. He was part of my sense of like wow, that escalated quickly, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, but, but I don't necessarily, it's not that I don't buy the reasons as to why each of them individually are skeptical of Buffy's plan. You know, mm -hmm. like, I think there's been ample demonstration as to why they should be skeptical or, or at least why you can understand why they're hesitant to just sort of go back in again. So that's, sure. that's fine. Um, 
but yeah, no, he definitely um, is is making his voice sort of heard within the group. Like again, in very kind of subtle ways, but in really significant ones. Whereas I think they could, Buffy could easily have said to him, like, you just got here, get out of here. You know, like, why, you know, why are you here, basically? Um, mm -hmm. But. Well, she called him. Oh, she did. That's right. Oh, so, right. It's yeah, like a, it's he, like a he meeting. He says she called a meeting, That's right? right? Like, That's right. Because he's like there to participate. Sure. Based on her calling him. <laughs> So, right. Yeah. So she's yeah she's not prepared for, and and I I would almost assume yeah. that she would be expecting him to support. Have her. counted on his if if right. she even thought there would be a vote, she might have counted on his vote. Well, I yeah I don't I don't I don't think Buffy would have ever expected a vote, yeah. but like I think just more like for moral support and to back her up, mm -hmm. like. By calling him specifically, I would have expected that to be, like, in line with her comments about Spike. That, like, he's mm -hmm. a reliable ally. Mm -hmm. Although, maybe not, because he tried to kill Spike. But, like, sure. I don't know. But apart like, from that one thing. It, but, like, I think I would have expected... I don't know. I, I mean... Yeah, no, I do think that she would have counted on him to back her up. So it is, it's a surprise. And, you know, honestly, I kind of think that she might have counted on everyone except for Giles at this point. You know, I think she's seen her conflict recently as more between her and Giles and doesn't realize the unrest that's kind of happening within, like, the larger group. Um, yeah. So I could almost see this meeting as a way to kind of prove to Giles that we have a good plan and everybody is in line and that this it definitely didn't go the way that she thought it would. Right. Okay. Now we're really done <laughs> with this episode. <laughs> but I, I, when I realized we hadn't talked about Robin, I, I did want to at least bring him up just to see kind of what. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, the Doctor Who. Yeah. Uh, the Lie of the Land, which is an interesting title. Actually, we didn't really talk about this before we were coming in. But, like, mm -hmm. the Lie of the Land typically means something like the topography or, like, the, you know, like how it is geographically. Mm -hmm. um, of course, the lie here being, like, the whole fake history right uh right the history of the monks being sort that, of like yeah. yeah broadcast out uh to everybody mm -hmm. so um like a good pun i wanted to yeah i mean a, a title with a good sort of double meaning is always mm -hmm. always interesting to sort of think about um i mean i don't it's not like extremely deep or anything like i think we can get it right away yeah, <laughs> like yeah um but yeah anyway so wanted to i i think this one will be 
a more straightforward conversation, uh, not not necessarily a shorter one, um, <laughs> maybe a little bit shorter, hopefully, but like, I think more straightforward in that, like, we're going to be stepping more through like the actual plot than, than we did with the Buffy episode. But yeah, um, I at least wanted to start out with the situation of like, the lie of the land, right? Like the historical revisionism mm -hmm. and specifically in context of the doctor being like in his voice and his broadcast mm -hmm. uh, being used to sort of perpetuate mm -hmm. um, that historical revisionism, mm -hmm. um, which I don't know. Like we can talk about this through as we go through the episode, but I struggle with this mm -hmm. because there's actual hurt that his broadcasts bring about, it seems. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure I know how I feel about, like, mm -hmm. his broadcast, especially if you consider, like, this has been going on for, like, six months or whatever. Right. And you get, like, in the beginning, the police, you know, or whatever, the sort of, the Stasi you know, sort of yeah. breaking down the door and uh, and we're arresting these people for memory crimes. Right. And we're including what we learn later that the doctor's not actually like Well, this is what this yes. is what brings it right. Okay, so maybe I'm not going strictly in chronological order. Because yes, I'm I'm thinking down the road of like the doctor actually isn't right. but in that first like opening like the monks have been with us since, you know, humanity crawled out of the ocean and blah, blah, blah. Like, he's, he's presenting this. I don't know. I, I guess you can interpret it in a couple of ways. But, like, it takes, it takes so long and there's, like, all of the, so, like, is his goal to, like, get Bill to remember and find him and like that works right like mm -hmm. in the end eventually so like, yeah eventually after so many months but it also like in that meantime you again like you have these cops breaking down doors and people mm -hmm. getting arrested and sent to work camps and presumably executed and killed at some point along the way. Like, so like what part of what he's doing there is contributory to the monks actions mm -hmm. and that, and then also like the thing that puts it sort of in a starker context for me, because like I could at least see there to be like, he's doing what he can and he can't really do anything until like Bill finds him and whatever, mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Um, but the thing that puts it in stark contrast is at the end when he says to Bill, okay, so I'm totally not going in order now. Right. But he says to Bill, like, you know, out of every, you know, 7 billion, there's one person like you. And it's like, wait, so is that to say that like, like I don't I don't think I believe the doctor doesn't like value like the average human life cuz like we get lots of 
evidence to the contrary in other places that that's not the case, right? Yeah. The average human man is like more amazing than anything else, right? Like he said that sort of thing before. Yeah. So like. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it just like if like that he's willing to go these many months and have like all these people arrested, some of them probably killed and whatever. And, and like, at the end we get this sort of like idea that like, he doesn't really value everyone equally. <laughs> I don't know. It, I guess those things together, like, like if you're, if your qualm with the Buffy episode is that everything sort of like happens too fast. This is maybe my qualm with this particular Dr. Who episode is mm -hmm. that like, I don't think it's necessarily intended to come across that way, mm -hmm. but just sort of upon like watching it a couple of times and yeah. reflecting about what are the major themes here and what are the things that happen. This is sort of the thing that jumped out at me. Um, yeah. As to like, yeah, like I don't, I don't know how I feel about all of this. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I kind of agree with you. And, and I think that's, I don't think this is, um, it's certainly not a fan favorite. I would say like my kind of impression is that this is one of the least sort of regarded, well-regarded episodes of the season. And I think, I mean, we can get into more problems as they come up if we want to, but um, certainly I think like the doctor's, actions in in it are the big reason why um yeah. you know and and i like i've definitely seen that line at the end cited as a thing that's like particularly sort of offensive from like you know who the doctor yeah. is like yeah um yeah like contradictory to not at, not even just actual lines that he said like you pointed out like there have been you know literally a few episodes ago in um what was it thin ice um there was his speech which impressed bill about how you know your entire you know whatever his name mr sutcliffe or whatever his name is his his life his wealth his industry his legacy his family all these things are not worth more than the urchin boy who you know lived on the river um mm -hmm. and you know any life is worth as much as the next and it doesn't matter how privileged or special or you know advanced one is that it's not worth more than anybody else's life so then to have him kind of again i like like you said i don't think it's intentional i think the intent is to say the kind of thing he says to companions of like, hey, we have a connection. You're special. Mm -hmm. Come with me. You know, like, I've chosen you. Like, you know, there's a reason why he's drawn to certain kinds of people. And we've had lines like that in the past. But um, it does come across as callous towards, like, the other seven billion people who he doesn't travel with, you know? Yeah. And right, and, and especially different like about saying yeah. like you're special than than everyone else is like not special, yeah, not well, it, not even like that they're not special, but like 
that everyone else is like below me, you know, like, mm-hmm. or whatever. I don't, Cause like, cause like the year special thing, that's like, I mean, obviously this isn't like with this doctor anyway, it's not a romantic thing, but like, mm-hmm. but like you could view that as sort of like, like, you know, a romantic couple who like, like you're the one for me. That's not saying that like everyone else is worthless and pointless and like, right. you know, not worth my time. It just means that like there's something about the way you are and the way I am that we connect well together and, you know, our parts interlock, you know, mm-hmm. as Anya might say, like better than other people's parts might interlock or, you know, whatever. And so like that idea, I think that's a, that's a huge difference than saying, well, I put up with other people right. because you know, I can stomach you better. Right. <laughs> like, right. Like right. That just... And yeah. And, and, and the, it wouldn't even the joke about like, you know, Oh, that stupid millennial who doesn't know like why the statue's there or whatever. Um, that would even be fine. You said millennial. I... I know I did that intentionally. Well, she clearly is. Um, you know, <laughs> that would even be fine if, like you're pointing out, it wasn't preceded by an entire episode of the doctor sort of working with the enemy and kind of right. either allowing them or actively participating in all these sorts of like, you know, crimes and atrocities. So to say you put up with people after an episode like this is like, yeah, that's not just that it's a, inappropriate sort of sentiment at at this particular time like in a different context in a different episode i could almost see that even working of like like aha i put up with the humans but like it's it just feels tasteless after this kind of episode i think there's places where he certainly talks about like the stupidity of humanity and even like the stupidity of humanity making the same mistakes over and over like that's That's certainly, you know, been brought up before. So, like, it's not even that particular idea. But, yeah, like, in the context of, like, again, he, like, potentially had, like, thousands of people, like, is responsible for their arrest and possibly death, you Mm -hmm. know? Like, I, yeah, I really wonder how the episode could have changed if they had gone all the way with having the doctor actually like have gone over um, either because, you know, he became convinced for some reason or even was like mind controlled or whatever. Um, I mean, I guess let's keep talking about it because when we get to, his, the, the fact that it is a fake out and that kind of reveal with Bill, I think we can continue this conversation of issues here. Yeah. Because I, I think the doctor as thought police is a fascinating idea, but they don't really do it. You know, they, they have him be secretly, you know, resisting and planning all along. And so some of the like, kind of bite of that gets taken away by the fact that it's all leading up to this sort of psych, you know, like it didn't, you know. 
Okay, so, because really the only things between that opening, well, I guess we can talk, we, we could talk about Bill and, like, the memories of her mother and things, but, or not sure. the memories, but, like, the uh, manifestation, I guess, of her mm -hmm. mother that, like, she sort of imagines. Um, but it's just, like, she's just, like, telling her stuff and, like, stuff that she remembers. And I guess that's, that's important later, like, obviously, like, at the end, but, like, I don't, like, other than just sort of noting it now. Right. And then Nardal shows up, and it's like, let's go find the doctor. Oh, I know where he is. You know, like, right. like there's not a whole lot of, like, plot leaps to get to there. So, mm -hmm. hey, we're there. We found the doctor. Okay. <laughs> um, so talk about what you want to say. Because I don't, I don't think they're, like, it's worth, because, like, yeah. Nardal's a fake out, too. Like, he's in on the joke. So, yes. like. right. We get yeah. to the doctor. And yeah, I hadn't actually thought about it in the way that you were just saying of like, what if they had taken the doctor and actually made him a thought criminal? Not thought criminal, but like a, well, I guess kind of, but like the propagandist, mm -hmm. right? Like who was like helping the monks. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting, because, like, that's, like, is, it would be, like, harnessing the power of his brain. Because, like, that that's his whole thing. Like, that's his plan at the end, is to, like, you know, oh, the monk's computer couldn't handle my brain, right? right. Like, well, what if, like, jokes on you actually, like, they are harnessing your brain and using it to do all sorts of evil. Mm -hmm. Like, and I also feel like there's there's a sort of, like, like the tragic irony of that would like fit well into like kind of the, the more mopey and like dejected version of the doctor that mm -hmm. we sometimes see, mm -hmm. right? Like of like, it's not really my fault because I was brainwashed, but like all of these deaths and like things are my fault because it was me who did them, even right. though like I was under someone else's right. control. Right. Um, like, I feel like right. that, like, totally fits in with, like, the post-war doctor type of thing. You know, like, it was the only thing that I could do, but, like, I still committed genocide kind of thing. Right. Um, well, and they, they even kind of flirt later on. I, I don't even know if this was there by design or if it just, you know, is the writers not realizing you know, the significance of even what they have said, because they don't take it anywhere. But when he is considering, when his plan is to, like, plug his brain in and, like, you know, override mm -hmm. the propaganda, like, just this idea of his, benevol his benevolent propaganda, which is a parallel to the monk's benevolent propaganda, you know, of, like, mm -hmm. I can get rid of racism. You know, like, I can, I can sure. will people into, like, getting rid of, bad things so they they almost go there of have him participate like for real um and kind of take advantage yeah. of the situation but like but they don't quite and i think like what's you know i see opportunity for getting more into the character there whereas i think to get to the fake out that undercuts it you know, and it makes it all just kind of not really have meant anything. Like, the, you know, the opening 
sense of the doctors join the bad guys turns out to just kind of be especially when you rewatch it you realize all right we're just leading up to the point where he reveals that he was never really on their side to begin with um and did we really get anywhere other than just the plot moving you know like did we learn anything did we kind of have any greater insight into the doctor i don't plus okay so you mentioned the the line at the end the other thing i've seen a lot of people sort of object to is the his sort of laughter and enjoyment at bill's sake when um at her expense when he fake regenerates and and kind of by extension the audience you know and i feel like a a lot of people there interpretation there is oh obviously this wasn't going to happen how dumb were you for ever thinking i could have you know uh, you know either gone over to the bad side or or regenerated here in the middle of you know and of course they put the regeneration in all the trailers and everything so it leads to all the speculation and you know (laughs) time right from a time Right, like you From know, it's the, like coming. at the time that this is airing, and and we're approaching the last few episodes of the series, the season is, uh, you know, we we know that there's going to be a regeneration at some point, and right. like we're coming up on the end of Capaldi's, you know, tenure, and so I. Like, I see, like, I understand sort of the marketing and, like, the that mm-hmm. kind of stuff behind it. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a good story-wise. But, like, even even if we were to leave that fake-out regeneration in there, like, mm-hmm. I feel like that could have played in. Because you could still work that in. Like, like, the more I think about it, the more I like your idea better of the potential for, like, having the Doctor actually have been brainwashed or, you know under the influence we'll say of the monks because then it could have been that triggering that regeneration would be what like makes his mind whole again or something. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you could work that into like, that's the resolution of like how he gets back to where he is. It's like, maybe they played with his mind, but like even a brief mini regeneration, like, knocks it back you know like like fixes whatever synapses that they screwed with and like Mm -hmm. brings him back to like who he was and then it's like oh no what have i been doing and like Mm -hmm. it's it's more more believable than i feel like of a you know a going to fix and like restore everybody's memory now that his memory is back kind of thing right right um right and i i regret not, the fact I, that um no go ahead finish I, I was just gonna say like i don't i don't mean to even like i mean it's interesting obviously to go down sort of alternative paths so like i don't want to go too far down that road i guess yeah yeah um maybe we've gone too far anyway but like just to say that like i guess just to agree with you that like there's definitely like ways that they could have done it more interesting and more believable and more 
and still keeping more in line with the doctor's actual like character. Mm-hmm. Another thing too is that um, I feel like these last two episodes do they take better strides towards sort of what I was complaining about before of Bill being not very active in a lot of her episodes. Um, like she's definitely more so here, like both in the last episode and this one, she's the one who sort of, you know, is the key figure at the end and sort of saves the day, I guess. But I I still wish we had more of that. Like, again, by having the doctor sort of, this is all his plan. You take away the sense that it's Bill driving the plot a little bit, you know, and it becomes, she's just doing what the doctor sort of told her to do or wanted or manipulated and wanted her to do all along. Um, So it's really not even until the very end that she does anything, you know, on her own without him arranging things and prompting things and sort of trying to get her to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, um, yeah, I think the, 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 re- the regeneration fake out is, again, problematic for a few reasons. Like the kind of mean-spiritedness of it towards the character and towards the, the audience, but also like, you know, what you're talking about in terms of like the ways that they could have used that in the plot a little bit more rather than just making it a purely a purely meta trick for the audience because that's what it feels like to me is that it's only there so that they can put it in the trailer mm-hmm. you know like does does it really serve the story that he kind of fake regenerates or is it just that it's nice to have a clip of him regenerating so that we can try to confuse people as to when the regeneration is going to happen um I'm crit-ficking a little bit, but that's okay. Sure. I mean, okay, so speaking of the, uh, you know, similar to the the Buffy confrontation in the end with things escalating quickly, um, how yeah. about Bill getting to the point where she, she shoots the doctor? Um, yeah. What's uh, What's your take on that? I didn't like it. I mean, <laughs> I'm not leading. I'm curious. I'm not yeah, trying to. I, no, I know. Ask no, for a particular I, answer. Yeah, I. I would not. I mean, I wouldn't have pegged. First of all, I wouldn't have pegged Bill as someone who would ever like pick up a gun. Mm-hmm. I guess. Um, I get that they're trying to like demonstrate her sense of like helplessness and futility and all that um and desperation i guess so like i don't know i it definitely seems weird like that that happens like in a room full of soldiers too i think like maybe could have been more believable if it was just like her and the doctor but Mm -hmm. like 
that there's like all these soldiers around and none of them shoot Mm -hmm. i mean i guess they do but they're all blanks so like Mm -hmm. right i just i don't know i it yeah i'm i'm not i don't know that like i have have as like and i don't have as in-depth of a like complaint as you do i just have more of just like a like yeah it didn't work for me sure um but again like like it's hard for me even like thinking now like that you've pointed out that there could have been a different way like to even think about it like not in that way (laughs) because like now it's like i'm just i feel like i'm just comparing everything to like what could have been done and that's maybe not entirely fair but like it's also hard to sort of like look back and and see like the way that because it because the shooting of the gun is tied into the regeneration obviously and Mm -hmm. then you know the fake out and the laughing so like i mean it's all just like part of the same gag and Mm -hmm. like like the pieces don't work individually and certainly don't work as a whole so Mm -hmm. i don't I, i just i do feel like it's i i mean i like i said like it's you know, Nardal shows up. He knows where the doctor is. Oh, good, we found it. And like, like it does become less of like you're like you're pointing out with Bill's sort of agency and stuff. Like, she just kind of follows Nardal, and then it's like, I mean, I guess she it, she has agency in so far as she picks up the gun and shoots the doctor. But it's like that's not really the kind of agency we're hoping for. Right? Like, is that the kind like, of like? character development we want from the companion yeah and and uh and then he applauds and then like after that happens (laughs) it's just like following the doctor and then okay she does make the decision at the end to sort of like go against him and do her own thing to like save the people and stuff and that's fine but like yeah i don't know i just I, it definitely does. They just sort of like jump from the one thing to the next to the next, and mm-hmm. I I don't know that it's it it, it does feel a little choppy in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know if I answered your question or not, but no, that's, I, that's the response you're getting. But Bill Bill shooting the doctor doesn't really work again, like um like the Dawn and Buffy thing. You know, the idea of the companion shooting the doctors potentially has an interesting idea there. But did they do enough to justify it? Um, In this episode, certainly, I don't think that we ever get to the point where you really buy that that's like the right move from Bill's point of view of even you if you could just say, well, I understand why she does it. you know. So I think that coupled with the fact that then it turns out to have been all a big ruse anyway. Um, yeah, it doesn't really, it doesn't really do a lot to sort of sell the scene. Um, anyway. Let's talk about the stuff with Missy. For a couple minutes. I mean, we, we, we kind of talked about the end, sort of. So I guess the Missy element is really like the last big yeah. sort of yeah. piece to... Um, 
Which again, it's sort of like they just sort of like cut to like, oh, we need to go get in the vault. Okay. All right, we're at the vault. You know, yeah. brief, brief inner, you know, uh, brief linking scene where like the monk looks over the railing and doesn't see them, and right. then like, right, we're in the vault. That's right, fine. and kind of like over, you know, explaining things by having like Bill narrate over like her voiceover and everything. So it's like even the bits where you would link up the scenes, she can just say, oh, the doctor wanted to go look in the vault. So that's where we're going. And like, you know, like, okay, we could probably find a more interesting way to transition from scene to scene, but. Well, and then like, it's like they're sneaking in, but right after like him doing, you know, King of the World on a boat, like through the Harbor, like, right. So what, what are we, are we brash and like facing things head on or like, are we we sneaking? sneaking? Yeah. (laughs) I just don't like, there's a disconnect there. It's yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, yeah. So Missy, I mean. Hard, hard to like, because we know what's coming with her. So like, mm-hmm. this is like the real sort of like introduction of like, what's in the vault, <laughs> you know, and and finding her in there and getting her introduced to Bill and you know, uh, I mean she's she's the faith of Doctor Who, right? She's the reformed big bad. So mm-hmm. like, yeah. Um, or the Andrew of Doctor Who, like whatever, however you want to take that. Um, or the spike. So, or, the, or the spike of Doctor Who. So many options. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's going cold turkey from being bad. Like, um, I do, I love the way that she, I, I just, regardless of the, uh, like, we can talk about the story and like what, just the delivery of the line of I'm engaging in the process. <laughs> I, yeah. mean, I, I, I really like that. I mean, I, yeah. I, I do think just sort of like, I hadn't thought of this until I was just thinking through it. I do think like her scene is more, is like probably my favorite in this episode, just cause like, just cause of the actress, mm-hmm. right? Like just, just cause of like, right. Yeah. She's so fun to watch. And the character yeah. and like, like I, I think it. I don't think it like totally like um, reforms the episode into like you know mm-hmm. serviceable from like a sort of plot perspective, but I do feel like it's like an enjoyable bit in yeah. kind of an otherwise kind of yeah. lackluster yeah. episode. I um, I also like how Capaldi does this too, so it's a nice parallel between the two. How her accent goes particularly Scottish when she's being like violent or something like when mm-hmm. she's, you know, the, the line about how there was a, I, I'm not going to try the accent, but there was a wee girl and I pushed her into the volcano. Like it goes, right, you know, the right. Scottish dialect goes like, you know, dialed up. Like she, the way she kind of calibrates her line readings and the accent and all that is, um, you know, it's just, she's just fun to sort of watch and listen to and everything. 
Yeah. Um, and I do, I do think it's kind of an interesting approach to kind of say um, her way of being good, like her way of doing the right thing is in a wrong way. Like, you know, kind of, well, she's defeated the monks before she knows about them. So her idea is the most effective thing is to just kill the, you know, the linchpin or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, of course that's the, you know, this is her way of proving that she's good by killing the doctor, like suggesting that the doctor should kill his companion. Um, you know, like she's got to wind her way through, you know, to the right thing, you know, through all these like moral ambiguities and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Right, and she gives them sort of the impetus to defeat the monks, and uh, that's fine. It's a bit of, yeah, I mean, it's a bit, I mean, they're just sitting there talking, so it's like, there's no plot points with her. It's just exposition, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but again, like, it's sort of the way she delivers things that make it sort of enjoyable from that perspective. Um and and again, I think from the the more like seasonal or like longer term arc, it's it's really about introducing her to Bill and vice versa, and mm-hmm. um, you know, Bill just being like, you know, but it's just a woman. You you know, it sounded like you had a monster, and mm-hmm. you know, Doctor. Well, I do. It's you know, the other Time Lord, and so it's that, you know continued you know pulling the companion further into uh the world of the doctor Mm -hmm. and uh yeah yeah it's also it it, it, maybe this occurred to me before but i kind of remembered again watching it was it's a fulfillment of the of his thing in last of the time lords of oh you're just gonna keep me like, you know, his proposed plan to I'll travel with the master and the master's sort of like, you know, he's going to die rather than let that happen. Um, I kind of like the fact that we're getting to sort of play around with like, oh, they're actually doing that. Like the doctor's just going to keep her in a vault and see what that does. Um, mm. So. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anything? I mean, I don't know that I have any other big things that we missed from this episode. Um, yeah. No, I don't. I mean, like you said, we already kind of talked about the ending a bit. And I mean, yeah, like the monks are defeated um, and we're just kind of on to a new thing next, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yep, right. So the the blindness and the monks, those little mini arcs are both gone at this point. So yeah, we have a couple standalone episodes coming right. up next. Yeah. 
Um, well, remind me whether we have Buffy or Angel next. Next time. Uh, we are back with Angel. Okay. So yeah, we've got a new uh, checking in on where Angel and team are with the Jasmineites and mm-hmm. how that's going. And yeah. Yep. Cool. All right. right. Sounds good. See you then.